This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Chris Schultz. The Senate Government Organization Committee advanced a bill that would promote Randall Reed Smith, the curator of the Department of Arts, Culture, and History, to a cabinet secretary. The committee approved Senate Bill 865, which now goes to the full chamber. West Virginia Public Broadcasting is a part of the Department of Arts, Culture, and History. In the House today, there was a contentious third reading debate over the much talked about bill to arm teachers as concealed carry protection officers. Randy Yoey has more. House Bill 4299 permits teachers in K-12 schools to be authorized to carry concealed firearms along with tasers and stun guns and become a designated school protection officer or SPO. The bill gives county school districts the option to establish voluntary SPOs or not at their schools. An amendment raised to the bill would mandate that a school district must assign a teacher who took the full training to be an armed SPO. Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Monongalia County, opposed an amendment he says rejects the original choice for school districts to opt in or out of having SROs. This amendment would force the school system to allow guns into schools with school protection officers, even if they have made a policy decision to go another route with the SROs or the PROs or the school security officers, it overrides that local control and that's why I oppose this amendment. But Delegate Todd Kirby, a Republican from Raleigh County, was among several who supported the teacher's right to opt in as an SPO themselves. Any teacher, any school personnel that's going to pick up the mantle and take on this responsibility, which is voluntary in nature, so it is permissive that allows individual teachers to make up their own mind as to whether or not they think this is good for them or their classroom. But if we allow it to be quote unquote permissive with the school boards, then you might as well not even pass this bill. The amendment passed 79 to 21. In debating the bill, Delegate Kayla Young, a Democrat from Kanawha County, opposed the proposal, worried about safety and implementation. I'm worried that with such little training, that these folks are not going to be accurately prepared to do this. I think that in this legislature we've already passed really good stuff to keep kids safe in schools this year. The school guardian bill to allow those law enforcement officers who have like 25 weeks of training to come back into the schools and protect our kids. Delegate Chris Phillips, a Republican from Barber County, supported the bill as a parent who got a school lockdown call. We had a student held an entire classroom hostage in a school that had my son and my niece in it. And in that moment, all I cared about was that, all I hoped for was that there was someone there to protect my son. Unfortunately, there wasn't. The teacher did everything she could, got the kids against the wall, said if they come in, we'll uh, try to take them down. Delegate Sean Fluharty, Democrat from Ohio County, opposed a bill to arm teachers, saying there is no public consensus for the measure. Not a single expert came in and said, we need this legislation. 
Not a single principal came in and said, I want this for my schools. Nobody from a school district came in and said, we need this legislation. We sat through committee process, none of that came up. No parental notification. No student notification. Bill co-sponsor Kirby said the proposal safeguards school classrooms and acts as a proactive school shooter deterrent. This just provides an additional layer that would make anyone that wants to come into our schools and harm our beautiful children, make them think twice about doing that because the classroom they go into, there could be an armed teacher or an armed personnel member that would confront them and stop the reign of terror. The school protection officer bill passed 89 to 11 and now goes to the Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The Senate had one of its busier days today as official deadlines draw closer. Next Wednesday is crossover day, meaning that all bills have to be out of their chamber of origin to have a chance of becoming law. Brianna Heaney has more. There is a shortage of poll workers in the state. That shortage has been compounded with the increase in harassment and threats poll workers faced following the 2020 election. Today, the Senate passed a bill that seeks to protect election workers in the state. Senate Bill 630 establishes offenses for things like intimidating language or physical acts of violence towards poll workers. Senator Bill Hamilton, a Republican from Upshur County, sponsored the bill and says with a mostly elderly population working elections that it's important poll workers are protected in the state. Well, it's kind of like what happened in Georgia. I mean. I don't need to say anything more. You know, that lady was threatened, uh, and, you know, poll workers shouldn't have to go through that. The Senate also passed House Bill 48060. The bill reduces the responsibility for general education teachers to fill out a daily accommodation log for children who need special accommodations. However, the bill was amended to require teachers to acknowledge at the end of each grading period that accommodations for a child have been met. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. A health facility would not need to obtain a certificate of need to operate in West Virginia if a house bill becomes law. Emily Rice has more. A certificate of need is a legal documentation process in which a proposed healthcare facility must show the need for their facility at a certain location and financial feasibility, among other factors. In West Virginia, all healthcare providers must obtain a certificate of need before adding or expanding healthcare services, obtaining major medical equipment like an MRI machine, or developing or acquiring new healthcare facilities. Jim Kaufman, president of the West Virginia Hospital Association, testified before the House Health and Human Resources Committee on Tuesday. He said the association strongly opposes the repeal of certificate of need, or CON. Our concern is if you eliminate CON, basically you could have organizations from outside the state come in, cherry pick services, and usually what you're going to see is they're going to go after commercial pay patients, your, you know, paying patients, and leave the institutions that are here with you know, their Medicaid and uninsured population, and you're going to see the entire healthcare delivery system undermined. Kaufman testified that the average West Virginia hospital's payer base is 75% Medicaid and Medicare. The national average is 40%. That's why we feel it would undermine the healthcare delivery system in the state, leaving our existing hospitals, whether they're a critical access hospital or a mid-sized hospitals, with basically lower paying patients. 
Delegate Heather Tully, a Republican from Nicholas County, questioned Heather Connolly, an assistant attorney general embedded with the health care authority. She asked if a facility certificate of need could be reconsidered if they're not meeting a community's needs. Once you have a CON, you have to do something um, pretty egregious and someone has to um, bring it up before anything can happen to your CON. Tully spoke in support of the bill, citing concerns about lack of oversight once a CON is granted. I think it's concerning that we don't look at the diversions and bed closures and changing of staffing levels. So for that reason, I will be supporting this bill and uh, hopefully we will infuse some competition into health care and make, a, make everybody better. The bill passed with 13 yeas and 9 nays. For the legislature today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Special education instructors, students, and their families gathered at the Capitol today to advocate for more support in their classrooms. Wednesday was the first ever special education day in the lower rotunda of the state capitol, and organizers filled the space with students from Kanawha County's self-contained classrooms. Blair Malkin, a staff attorney at Mountain State Justice, says these are students with the most complex needs who need the most support day in and day out. Malkin is also president of the Board of Exceptional Possibilities of West Virginia, a nonprofit that creates and advocates for events and resources for individuals with disabilities and their families. She says the day is meant to raise awareness of special education needs, especially the shortages in classrooms. When um, the legislature passed the Third Grade Success Act last year, it required aids in all first grade classrooms. So nearly half of special education aides left special education for those jobs um, because those jobs are frankly easier and pay slightly more. Rachel Brown is a special education curriculum specialist for Kanawha County Schools. She also was one of the lead organizers for Special Education Day at the Capitol. She says the unintended impact of the Third Grade Success Act on special education classrooms is set to worsen when the bill's requirement for aids in all second and third grade classrooms is implemented in the coming years. Brown hopes a proposed pay raise can help keep special ed educators in their classrooms. I hope this shines a light for legislatures. A lot of the common public doesn't know about um, my type of classrooms. We are the 1% um, and it's easy to just shut the door and not even notice they're in schools and we want to raise awareness and make sure that the legislature knows about our students and our needs and also their Senate Bill 680, uh, Amy Grady introduced and um, it's a pay raise, a 10% pay raise for self-contained teachers and a 5% pay raise for self-contained aides. Brown says Special Education Day made history by bringing the most people with disabilities ever to the Capitol at one time. On History Day at the Capitol, the rotunda is sent back in time, becomes a place of living history, where the lives and lessons from our state's past become touchstones for the present and the future. Many of the History Day information booths set up from around the state representing historical societies and organizations are surrounded by men and women dressed in period garb. Standing out among them are the Sons of the American Revolution. With 13 chapters statewide, Ed Cromley, a longtime state leader with the group, says it's among his organization's missions to remind West Virginians of the national significance of the 1774 Battle of Point Pleasant. Well, we're from Point Pleasant and we believe it's the first battle of the American Revolution. Had that battle not been won by the colonists and the Indians had won, 
then I think that we would not have had a success against the British in the Revolution. Adorned in a flowing hoop skirt, Lydia Brown represents a branch of the West Virginia Military Academy, the Lizzie Cabell Finishing School for Young Ladies. Brown says the group focuses on remembering the antebellum roles of female refinement. Teach the girls how to be proper and how to dress politely and how to talk politely and games that women in the 1860s would play and we act as if we are a finishing school from the 1860s. Brown says there are simple reasons for instilling an 1860s finishing school philosophy to the young women of 2024. In 2024 it could be used for different things but the main purpose is just teaching them how to be you know, a little bit of a better person with being etiquette and being proper. Just some of the happenings on History Day at the Capitol. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Women's health has been a popular topic in the Senate this year. Many bills and amendments have been introduced that focus on women's health policy. Brianna Heaney brings us this interview about women's health in the state and legislation that affects women. Hello, my name is Brianna Heaney. Today I'm sitting here with Anitra Hamilton, a Democrat from Monongalia County, and we're here to talk about women's health here in the Mountain States. Okay, so numbers for the states aren't good. West Virginia ranks last on most major health scores. Let's go through addressing some of the legislation that has been introduced, is moving through the bodies, or has been passed. Let's start with the number one cause of death for women in the state is heart disease. There have been a lot of bills around women's reproductive rights, but is there anything in the works addressing this? I don't believe. Um, a lot of the focus has been on um, reproductive rights because our rates with maternal infant mortality has been so extreme. Um, I have not seen or know of any legislation coming that deals with heart health, hypertension, um, I think the byproduct of some of the maternal bills um, is a result of cardiac issues, but bills directly focusing on cardiac health, I have not seen any, mm. unfortunately. Let's talk about maternal health in the state. Um, West Virginia lags behind in record keeping for um, women's health statistics like maternal mortality. Um, is there legislative plans to keep better records of these statistics? Absolutely. So this is an initiative that is very dear to me. Um, prior to being appointed, it was something I worked on for over two years. Um, they have made some good changes, um, some legislation that especially came through the health committee. Um, one was with the um, maternal, the fatality and uh, mortality committee. They split that up. Um, it used to cover maternal infant deaths as well as domestic violence and substance abuse deaths. So they split that up and now it only focuses on maternal and infant mortality. Um, because the data is so backlogged to 2018, so in an effort to have better outcomes, they want that committee to focus specifically on that. So what's it going to take and when can we expect to have better, more current numbers on maternal mortality? I so wish I could answer that. Um, I hope as soon as possible, um, because we know that you know, nationwide, our numbers for mothers and babies have went up, and in West Virginia especially, I think it was 13.8%, which was higher than the national average. So, um, you know, I hope as soon as possible. <laughs> you know, and especially with black and brown mothers, our rates are, are um, almost double. So it's really pressing that, you know, they get up to speed and we'll be able to get information out to the community. 
Mm. Let's pivot sure. to um, health insurance mm -hmm. and infertility treatments. Um, currently, West Virginia is currently West Virginia is not a state that requires health insurance companies to cover infertility treatment. This can be a costly treatment to receive, costing anywhere between fifteen to thirty thousand dollars. Are there any initiatives, conversations, plans to um, make that treatment more available and also to mandate that insurance companies cover this treatment? There was some legislation to include fertility treatments because it is, it is very expensive. Um, that, I don't think that legislation has come across the floor yet, so hopefully it will be able to be on the agenda. Um, but I know it was discussed um, and it did come through committee. You know, so I hope that it does go on um, to the agenda for the House because there's so many women who suffer with so many issues reproductively. It would definitely be a, a, a financial um, benefit as well as a reproductive benefit for women to have that access. While we're talking about IVF, um, it's important to note that there was a Supreme Court case in Alabama that considered embryos to be people. Some are worried that that ruling um, could have a chilling effect on the in vitro fertilization IVF um, providers. Is there any conversations? I know that this is a new, a new development, but are there any conversations or legislative priorities to protect those industries in the state that help women who are struggling with their fertility have children? Um, there hasn't been any conversations yet. I think that we're still in shell shock from just knowing the number of deaths that we have put a lot of priority on that. Um, and then also just trying to ensure that women have um, more access for reproductive procedures and treatments. Um, but that definitely is a conversation that needs to be added. Um, not, I know we won't cover that this session because I have heard zero conversations, um, but next session definitely it should be a priority or something that we should look at um, as far as legislation. Yes, absolutely. Again, my name is Brianna Heaney. We are sitting here talking about women's reproductive health here in the Mountain States. Today, I sit here with Delegate Anitra Hamilton and Senator Patricia Rucker. Alrighty, so we've been talking about um, heart disease for that a lot of women in the state face. Um, I want to give you a chance to talk about heart disease for women in the state. It's the number one um, reason for death. Is there any legislative priorities in addressing this? So I haven't seen any bill, although I will say we did pass a resolution regarding this, I think February 1st, but don't quote me on it. Um, and um, yeah, there's, by this time, everything's kind of running together. But I will say that um, this is something that, yes, I knew it's, it's actually the number one killer. And a lot of women don't recognize the signs. So I think we've already in the past, like put a big push towards just educating women on what the signs are so that they will know when they need to seek medical attention. But uh, no, I haven't seen any legislation specific to it. All right, let's transition, let's pivot to um, tax relief bills. <laughs> so far, um, there has been a list of um, 
specific tax relief bills for small arms, for off-roading vehicles, for some coal in the state, the list goes on. What about tampons, pads, and other feminine hygiene products in the States? Yeah, I have not seen that bill run yet, although um, it's been introduced in the past. Um, it's one of those bills that I don't think ever has made it out of finance, but yes, it's a, it's a conversation worth having. Um, I, I also, regarding women's products, I mean, um, there's, of course, several people that have introduced tax relief for childcare, and that's a very important topic that I think needs and deserves attention and discussion. Um, but yeah, no. So I'm a co-sponsor on a bill in the House for free um, period products, and it hasn't made it to committee. It hasn't been put on the agenda. Um, I know we've had a lot of groups here, a lot of students here advocating for it. Uh, we have tried to push it, and for it did not have a, a fiscal note with it. We we're asking counties to cover the cost, um, but for some reason they got sent to finance. So, is your bill for the schools? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. we've passed that in the past. Did it not make it through both houses? Mm -hmm. Oh, we've What's passed it. I don't know. We I know the Senate passed yeah. it. Said definitely last year. I, I don't know what happened yeah. to it. Okay. So we tried to do another one. So we're praying that it gets through and makes it to the floor. I know we did have legislation about the, the jails mm -hmm. and basically making certain that the women have those products in jails. Um, and I think it flew through. We, we didn't have to, and much debate about it. What are some of the barriers to this legislation making it to the finish line this session? We don't know, because there's not a fiscal note to it. Um, we were just asking counties to cover it. I mean, we even estimated it would be less than catering. Um, it's just a matter of getting on the agenda. And you know, I have no idea. We haven't had the discussion this year, but I know that in last year when debating that legislation, which we did end up passing, um, the only, I guess you'd say no votes or folks who, who didn't support it, their concerns came from that it wasn't needed that already schools provide for this and there was no reason to the legislation. But I'm just telling you what I heard last yeah. year. And that's valid because there are a lot of groups, but it's contingent on groups giving, you know, so it, it still puts our kids in a vulnerable space. Absolutely. All righty. I'm going to give Senator Rucker a chance to talk about mm -hmm. IVF, infertility oh, treatments. <laughs> um, kind of a, a, a two questioner. Okay. Um, first, IVF being mandated to be covered by insurance companies. Um, we talked a lot about how IVF can cost over $30,000. Um, wow. Is there any initiatives in the Senate to address some of these costs or to mandate insurance companies cover this treatment? No, I haven't seen any. Um, I can tell you, I definitely haven't introduced any legislation like that. Uh, we have legislation regarding midwives and doulas be being covered by insurance and non-fetal stress tests uh, being covered by insurance. I, I haven't seen legislation and I, haven't, and I haven't introduced legislation regarding IVF being covered. So I will also say, I also haven't had folks coming to me telling me this was an issue, just to be fair. Let's briefly talk about legislation um, regarding doulas in the state. Why are these pieces of legislation important? Well, I obviously feel very, that it's very important. Um, so we say that we are a very pro-life state and 
part of that, I would assume, means that we should be supportive of women who want to have their babies and want to make certain that they have good outcomes. We have seen uh, studies that demonstrate that having a doula or midwives helping to deliver definitely does help um, some women. And I just, I don't want to see... Um, Honestly, I don't want to see that discriminated against because you are covered if you go to a hospital by most insurance companies for medical care. There is no reason for why. I mean, this is part of that medical care. So I, I, I feel like it, sh it should be something that should definitely be, you know, uh, covered by insurance companies. And um, I'm a co-sponsor of the legislation for both the midwife and the doula legislation that we've proposed. Mm -hmm. So far, I have not seen it move. <laughs> Delegate Same. Oh. <laughs> I echo her sentiments 1,000%. It just creates another pathway for women to have an advocate, to have support. Um, it, their outcomes are amazing. Um, I also created a bill for doula um, coverage, um, uh, you know, echoing. Um, and we, both of us, we chair the Women's Caucus, and this has been one of the concerns as women that we have focused on. So I echo her sentiments 1,000%. What's interesting to me about this is I see not only bipartisan um, seemingly alignment with these bills, but also across House and Senate alignment with these bills, yet they haven't made it to the finish line. Well, well ladies, <laughs> only a few of us in the Senate. Yeah. This is all the time that we have. My name is Brianna Heaney, and I am here with West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our public news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia Channel. I'm Chris Schultz. For everyone here at WVPP, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.